0: A few weeks ago, I was in my morning, I call it my old man's exercise. Uh, when you get older, you can't run, you can't jog, you just walk as fast as you can. And uh, so I was on my two mile walk and this, this message that I'd share with my, my congregation about 25 years ago came to mind totally out of the blue. That happened three or four times and I thought, then I thought, eh, it might be kind of fun to share that at All people sometime. And then when Robert asked me to, 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 to share, um, that wasn't on my mind then, but as soon as I began to say, Lord, what might I share, that's what dropped into my, my brain. So uh, it's his fault that I'm sharing this today. I call this a modern-day parable. It's not really, a, this isn't really a sermon. You won't need to, you can, you can kind of sit back and relax. You won't need to open your Bibles. I'm going to share a lot of verses, but I'll be gone from each verse by the time you would get there. So just... Um, Just set back, and it really is not a a sermon as normally sermons are giving. It's a story that I'm going to tell and share with you. And again, I call it a modern-day parable. There it is. So let me pray, and let's ask the Lord to use this. Lord, uh, it is an awesome thing. It's uh, beyond awesome. There aren't words to describe the wonder that you the god of the universe are here with us now you love each one of us uniquely lord you you do you delight over us and that is so uh if that's all we heard today what robert shared a minute ago lord we we have enough for the whole year so lord we thank you and we bless you for that father i pray for your anointing to come upon me upon the words that i share upon every heart upon every ear uh, upon every person that's here that you would use this uh, this unique story and you would touch hearts and so we give this time to you in Jesus name, amen amen so about 25 years ago I had an experience that um, I honestly have never forgot uh, never got over, never will get over and it was a A Saturday morning, kind of late, and I went down to my church, and I'll share more about, you'll hear about my community in a moment, up in Rancho Pinasquitas. I went to my church on a Saturday afternoon just to pick up some things, and as I pulled up to the parking there, to the parking lot, and then in front of the church, I looked over, and there was a man who was sitting on one of the benches out front and uh, got out of my car, and he looked to be about 50 or so, but as I got a little closer, it was clear he was closer to probably his early 30s, uh, had a beard and longish hair, and I went over to him and introduced myself and said hi. And he just commented that he was in the community, he wanted to know more about our church, wanted to know more about our community. So I thought, well, here's a guy, I just wanted to hear some things. So we talked for a few minutes, and I shared a little about our church, a little about the community. And basically, I thought we were done. So I went into the building, the church, and when I came out, he was still there. So uh, he just said, I got a few more questions, so I said, I'll tell you what, I'm kind of hungry, I got some extra minutes, why don't you hop in my van with me and we'll drive around and go get something to eat and I'll share with you about our community. So he said, okay, so hopped in my van and we, we headed up north, now I live in Rancho Pinasquitas, up I-15, just in case you're not real familiar with that area, I go up I-15, come a little ways to the left is Mira Mesa, well actually there's Miramar, the air base. Uh, Mir- Miramar, you go past that, to the left is Miramesa, to the right is, is Scripps Ranch. Go a little further, and there's Rancho Pinasquitas. To the right, Sabre Springs, Cormor Mountain Ranch, further, a little further east is Poway. You keep going, you get up to Cormor Mountain Ranch, and then Rancho Bernardo, and then ultimately you get up to Escondido. So I wasn't going to just I wasn't gonna take them all those places, I was gonna drive them around, and maybe share a few things, get something to eat. So we went up the road up north towards uh, Cormor Mountain Ranch, and right away we passed by Pinasquitas Elementary School. I don't know if he had any kids or not, but I pointed to it and I said, that's Penasquitas Elementary School. It's actually part of the Poway Unified School District, which happens to be one of, the, one, of the most, one of the best school districts, considered to be anyway, one of the best school districts in the nation. In fact, people move into that area just to have their kids in that school district. And at that time, we had one son who was 10 who was in a elementary school. My older son had graduated from Mount Camaro High School, and I shared, it's just a great place to get an education. And, and he paused for a moment and then he said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I thought that was a little strange, but I couldn't disagree. So we, we went on up a little further. And I just started telling him about the area how, since we'd been here for now 14 years, things have really grown up. In fact, Uh, When we were there, there were probably about when we first moved there, there were about 16,000 people. I think even now there's close to 80,000 people. In fact, there weren't even any stoplights in our community when we first moved there. There was just a few stop signs. That's how long we've been there. We got a little further. Got to a big, big big intersection, which is right before you would pass over Interstate or I-15, which back then, earlier, there'd only been three or four maybe six lanes, and now, by the time he was there, there had to be at least 10 lanes. That's a major thoroughfare. And I pointed out to the left, to the north, and I said, if you go that way, you go to Escondido, and if you go to the right, south, you'll end up in San Diego. And uh, he paused, he looked to the left, and he looked to the right, and then he said, broad is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that enter into it. And narrow is the gate, and Straight or difficult is the way that leads to life and no one enters into it. Well, I thought that was kind of a strange thing to say about I 15, but I just kind of rolled with it and thought, you know. I've known some people who just share verses off the cuff and I thought that maybe was the kind of guy that he was. We went on up into Carmel Mountain Ranch and in Carmel Mountain Ranch, it's, there's a lot of small businesses and a lot of restaurants. In fact, I counted one time, there had to be 30 or 40 restaurants up there, just small eateries of different kinds. And uh, I saw In-N-Out. I thought for sure he wanted an In-N-Out burger. Seems like everybody that comes to Southern California wants an In-N-Out burger, right? Yes. Hallelujah, I guess. So, so these days I don't eat burgers. I can't. You get older. So you, you enjoy them while you can. But then I went in to In-N-Out. I got myself, uh, uh, you know, I, in fact, I asked him. I said, would you like a hamburger? And uh, he said, he paused, seemed to always pause, and he said, I have meat to eat, which you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. So I thought that meant probably he wasn't, he wasn't hungry. So I went in, I got my double-double cheeseburger. Again, no more. I got my order fries, I got my medium Coke, and... I was kind of hungry, so I reached in right away, took a bite of the hamburger, and thought, well, surely he'd want one of these French fries, because many consider them to be the best French fries around. Put the bag over in front of him and asked if he'd like some French fries, and he once again paused and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I just, about that time, I was kind of feeling not very hungry, kind of uncomfortable. Put my hamburger back in and decided I'd eat that thing later. We drove on a little further, got back on the freeway, went up towards Rancho Bernardo, and I, I just started telling more about the community, how fast it, much it had grown. In fact, at one time, that was one of the fastest-growing areas in the United States and how uh, there were just so many homes that were built and, and it, back in the mid-80s and into the early 90s especially, and all kinds of young families. And we're now on I-15, pull off into Rancho Bernardo. And I said, this, this community here is actually quite a, quite a wealthy community. In fact, one of the things that I remember still that struck me about Rancho Bernardo in those early days is that it seemed like every corner there was a bank. And so I pointed that out and he said to me, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, and where on, on treasures on earth, where rust and moth corrupts, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And once again, I had to agree, so I didn't. I didn't comment. Kip driving through Rancho Bernardo. It's a rather affluent community. As I mentioned to him, in fact, I said a lot of the homes in this area here are worth million, two, three, four, five million. Turn into one of the neighborhoods where there's a lot of these large homes and thought I'd get a, give him a chance to see some of those. And I pointed them out. I said, some of these homes are worth three or four million dollars. And once again, he paused and he said this. He said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And at that point, I just began to pause because it kind of struck something in me because I thought I, maybe I'd kind of bought into the, the health, wealth mindset more than I even had thought and began to stick a little bit, a little bit of conviction in my heart at that point. We drove on a little further and uh, came to, now we're up in Ranch Bernardo, about to get into Poway, take a ride onto Pomerado Road. Most of you don't know about that, but take a ride there. And right away, we come across Temple Adat Shalom, which is a Jewish synagogue in that part of town. And I shared with him how our church actually had to meet there for several months. That there was a season in the life of our church where we, we had met in one place for six years. We lost it. And there was no place to meet. In fact, at one, one year we had church in six different locations in one year. During that time, we were also trying to build our church and we're faced with all kinds of problems from the neighbors. They fought us all the way to City Hall. You guys know all about that. Only this situation, I have a little taste of that. What we're facing here is even worse than that, but I, I, that's what we went through. There were all kinds of cost overruns and it was one, probably one of the most trying times in my life as a pastor. In fact, it goes, I was pushing the burnout wall. In fact, it got so difficult, I actually wondered if our church would make it through that, through that season. So I shared that with him. And he very sternly said this, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And somehow that just struck a, just a, a calming chord in my heart. We drove on a little further and we came to, now, Pomerado Hospital and I pointed that out and it's one of the, it's, in fact, I told him, I said, it's the only hospital in this region and how I had I'd visited there many times, visited people there many times. In fact, there was one time one of our leading men had a, had a stroke and every day for two weeks I'd go there and see him and eventually passed on. But I've been there many times visiting people. And he looked over at Pomerado Hospital and then he looked at me and he said, yeah, you visited me there once. And I was kind of puzzled by that because honestly I'd never remember seeing him. And then he said, oh yes, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was sick, you visited me. And I was still kind of confused by that because I'd I'd never remember seeing the guy. Well, by this time, I knew I'd picked up one very unusual person that nobody would believe me if I told them about it. And my wife wouldn't believe me. So I said, I gotta take him to my house and introduce him to my wife. (laughs) So, we're still in Poway, so we began to make our way back over to, to Rancho Pinasquitas. And uh, about two miles from my house, we came to this intersection, and he looked over, and he said, who are those men? And I looked over, and this was a part of town back then, not so much now, where Mexican migrant workers would come up, and they'd hang out there waiting for homeowners to come along and, and, and pay them to come do odd jobs around the church, or around their house. And uh, so I told them that's what they were. And I said, actually, it's kind of a point of controversy now. It's really controversial now. But back then, it was just kind of a mild controversy. A lot of people didn't think, told them, a lot of people didn't feel like they should even be here and were a little bit bitter that they were. And he, he, he paused for a moment. And then he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he looked directly at me and he said, go and preach the gospel to all creation. And then he asked me to pull over. So I did and he got out and he went over to them and he's talking to them and he seemed to be giving them something which surprised me because I didn't even know he even had anything in his hands. So he did that for a while and then he came back, he came back to the car and we, we drove on towards my house. And finally we get almost to my house and uh, pointed the house out. Hit my garage door open. I love those garage door openers. Somebody, somebody needs to get a Nobel Peace Prize for those. I love to watch that thing go pull right in and point it to the house. And, and I said, this is our house. It's not big, but it's comfortable and it's nice. We feel really blessed. And he paused once again. He said, yes, foxes have dens and the birds of air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. I wasn't sure what he meant by that, but uh, we went on we went on inside the house and uh i was going to introduce him to trish went inside the house couldn't find her looked out and she was out back and we in our backyard we have what we call this prayer garden that this man had built for us and kind of manufactured a whole house into prayer garden and went out there and and uh introduced him to trish and told him how my wife has spent a lot of time out here. In fact, there was a season in the life of our church and, and her life where she was going through kind of a dark night of the soul, and the church was going through a real difficult time. And my wife spent many hours out. Even in the middle of the night, she'd be out praying and walking, spending time with, with God. And, and he said, yeah, I know all about that. Well, I was kind of confused by that. But I turned to Trish and looked at her. Then he looked at her and said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And again, I was kind of confused, but Trish seemed to totally connect with him. And pretty soon they start to talk and as if she'd known this guy for a long time. We visited out there for a while, then we came inside the house and sat down in our family room. And about that time, my youngest son, Jonathan, who was 10 at the time, came in. And uh, John normally is kind of shy around new people. But in this case, he went right up to him crawled up into his lap and started showing him this Lego thing that he had made. Well, I thought he was being a little bit too forward, so I was going to step in, but he stopped me. This man stopped me, and he said, "'Let the children come unto me. Forbid them not, for if such is the kingdom of heaven, that unless you become like a little child, you shall never enter into the kingdom of God.'" Next thing you know, he's on the floor playing with Jonathan. He seemed far more interested in Jonathan than anything else. Well, finally, Jonathan left, and it was getting pretty close to the time that we should, we should go back. And I asked him if he would like a drink of water. And he said, sure. So we went and got him water, and he's drinking the water. And at some point, at, at, at some point he, he gets the water, and he holds it up, and he says, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. I still didn't, I know that verse, but didn't quite get what he was, why he was saying these things Again, Trish just smiled She seemed to totally get everything he was saying <laughs> Well, finally we decided to go And it's time to get back to the church And he hopped in my van And I, I thought, well, actually I was starting to feel a little bit comfortable with him so I thought I'd tell them a little bit about myself, my upbringing, I told them how I grew up in Orange County and kind of a modest home and nobody in my family had been pastors And but my dad, in fact, my dad grew up in Tennessee, a poor farm boy, quit school when he was in the eighth grade, later got his GED, ended up working, came to California working in service gas stations and in fact, became quite successful, started his own service station, maintenance and construction company and really did quite well for himself and in fact, all but one of my siblings work for my dad, have done really well for themselves. And I told him, I said, but God called me to be a pastor. And I I told him, I said, I always kind of wondered what would have happened if I wasn't called into the ministry that I probably would have worked for my dad and probably would have done really well for myself financially. And he paused once again, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, no man has left house or parents or brothers or sisters or wife or children, for my kingdom's sake, except they will be repaid one hundredfold in this life and in the world to come, everlasting life. And whatever was still hanging in my heart about that, turning away from that, just seemed to dis- dis- be dismissed at that point. We're now almost back to the church, and I looked up, and to my left I saw Black Mountain. If you don't know a Black Mountain, if you go I-15, look to your left where Rancho is, there's this large mountain. I think it's like the second or third largest mountain in San Diego City. In, the, in, in just the city itself, and back in those days, you could drive almost to the top, and then the last 50 yards walk up to the top, and I used to go up there often because you get up there, and you get this, this panoramic view of all the communities all around us. There'd be Torrey Pines, and there'd be Mira Mesa, and Scripps Ranch, and Car Mountain Ranch, and out into Poway. You can even look all the way down to San Diego, and I'd go out there, and I'd just pray over the city, And I pointed all of this out, and at some point, he walked away from me, turned his back to me, and he seemed to want to be alone. And uh, I gave him that space. But finally, at some point, I walked over to him, kind of peered around to see what he was doing, and tears were rolling down his face. And he said, oh, Rancho Pinasquitas, oh, Mira Mesa, oh, Poway, oh, Rancho Bernardo. O Scripps Ranch, how often I would have gathered you together as a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. And then he turned to me and he said, truly, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the field. And I told him that I would. Well, we came down, finally made it back to the church. It was kind of getting late, but I thought, well, now at least I had to show him the church. So we went inside. And the first thing I did was show them the children's classrooms, and I said, here's where about 200 kids come every week and and get ministered to. And it takes about 40 or 50 volunteers to make that happen. I feel kind of bad because they often miss big church because of that, and they serve so well. They're really the unsung heroes of our church. And he looked at me and said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. Chief is the one who ministers, and that God is not unjust He will not forget the love and the work that's shown in his name in ministering to the saints, and they will get their reward. Then we went upstairs into our office, where the offices are. I showed him my office and the other staff's office and and uh, I thought it might impress him a little bit. I showed him what we call—we used to call this—and we had this thing. Our process of ministry it was, a, it was the chart we had where we in person first, first came to New Hope, and then the process they would go through to grow and mature and become, you know, fully devoted and fully involved in the church. I showed him that. Then I showed him our calendar and all of the all the activities that we had, the different things that were going on the coming year. How excited I was about all that. And and he looked at it. He didn't seem impressed. In fact, he went on to say, "Except the Lord build the house." They that labor, labor in vain, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And it kind of, once again, struck a little heart of conviction that maybe I was depending more on our activities than the Spirit of God to do what He wanted to do. Then we went down the last place, we went into the auditorium, and I showed him our auditorium, which it was so great to have the building after all we went through and how much we loved it. I shared just the growth we'd had that year. and he looked at me and he said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And, and uh, I said, I would do that. And then we went up onto the stage where I preached and I said, here, 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 here's the place where every week, year after year, for the last then 14 years, I would stand to preach. And uh, he paused for a moment once again and then he, and then he looked up at me. And, and this time, like right into my eyes and into my heart, and he said, Joe, and he said my name for the first time. And he said, Joe, do you love me? And I said, well, I, I think so. Um, and then he said it again, Joe, do you love me? And I said, sure, I love everybody. And then he said it the third time, Joe, do you love me? And at that point, something just seemed, that, that something seemed to register in my heart. And I said, yeah, I do. I love you. And then he said, feed my sheep. And I said, I would. Well, at that point, now I'm, I'm, I'm about to tear up. And I'm, I turn my head and I look down. And, and when I look up, he had walked back to the back of, 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 of the building. And... Uh, He stopped at the back door, and then he turned around, and almost in a loud voice, as if it was a room full of people, and he said this. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel to all creatures, discipling them in in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And again, I just kind of looked away, and When I look back, he was gone, and uh, I was going to run after him, but somehow I knew he wouldn't be there. And then it was over, and he was gone. And I pondered, I didn't know if I was dreaming or if this had really happened, but what I knew was either way, I would never be the same. So there's what I call my modern-day parable. So here's the question. What purpose does a message like this serve? And as I ponder that even back then, when I first shared that with my congregation, this little parable, what I think it can do, what it does for me, is it can cause the words of Jesus somehow to, 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 to penetrate our heart even more. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish Jesus was just here in the flesh, in person, saying the things that he said, that somehow it might even land more. But the reality is he is here. In fact, he's as, he's as much here, if not more here, than if he were here in the presence. The reality is the intimacy that we share with Christ, and I remember sharing this with our people just so, with so much conviction that he, he's more real to me though I can't see him, than any one of you who are here in front of me who I can see. And the words of Jesus are powerful, and they're they're impactful, not just because they are relevant, but because they are living. They're the living word of God whether it's the words he said or any of the words in Scripture, they are living words, and they are power-packed. There's a lot of people, men and women over the centuries, who, who say great, relevant things, but only the words of God are living and are powerful. And I just would encourage you, as you stop and you reflect on the scriptures, I think sometimes we just, we, we, we look at the scriptures and we don't reflect on who's really saying them. That maybe the next time when you are struggling with some, some guilt for something that you have done and wonder if you can be forgiven, that you would imagine Jesus right there in front of you saying, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or the next time you feel so unworthy that there's no way that God could love you, you would just pause and contemplate and imagine him right there in front of you saying these words, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love and in loving kindness I've drawn you to myself. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Or maybe in those weary moments when you just feel like you can't make it, that you, you, you visualize Jesus right there in front of you. And he says to you, come unto me, all you who are lay, who labor and are, uh, and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. So no, Jesus didn't visit me that day. I'm sure you figured out what was going on in this message. Although last time I shared this at the church, I had some people still say, man, I can't believe that guy visited Joe that day. Um, no, Jesus didn't come to my church that day physically, he didn't hop in my car and he, you know, he, he didn't drive around with me, and yet, he did, because I carry in me the very presence of Christ. Paul said this in Philippians when he said, for me to live is Christ. He goes on to say, and to die is gain, but he said, for me to live is Christ. That is, for me, for me, and for you, for those of us who know God, for me to live is Christ. For me, to walk down the streets of Rancho Penaschitis is for Jesus to walk down the streets of Rancho Penaschitis. For me to come to all peoples on any given Sunday is for Jesus to come to all peoples on any given Sunday. We represent, we carry in our bodies the very presence of Christ. I think, I think again, sometimes there are certain phrases and words and truths that we're so familiar with that we don't, we don't grab a hold of the wonder of them. That the God of the universe, Jesus himself, lives inside of you. You've heard that hundreds of times. I've preached that hundreds of times. And I think maybe we ought to wake up every day and say, Jesus, you live in me. Wow! That's amazing. No matter what else we're facing, the God of the universe lives in us. And everywhere we go, we carry his presence. We have this little tool in, uh, in fact, you can put it up now in our leadership school called The the Presence Path, and it represents this, that, that everywhere we go, we carry Christ's presence with us, and everywhere we go, His presence is already there. And so everywhere we go, I don't know if you can see this back there, we need to ask this question, Lord, is there anything you want me to say or anything you want me to do? and be ready to do one of four things. Either pray for someone, provide for someone, proclaim some truth to them, some word, encouraging word, or maybe give a word of prophecy everywhere you go. And it's just a little trigger, the presence path, because that's true. Everywhere we go, we carry Christ's presence with us, and everywhere we go, his presence is already there. And I would encourage you, as you go into this year, the most important thing that you are going to do in anything that you do As you launch into 2023, that you would know the most important thing that you do is that everywhere you go, you're carrying the presence of Christ, and you represent him, and you look for those opportunities to represent, represent him to those around you. All right, let's bow our heads.